So we're starting this new series. Letters from prison, principles for life. There's uh, several stories in the Bible, um, letters that were written in the New Testament towards the, the back part of your Bible, um, that were written often by Paul, but maybe by somebody else, um, while they were in prison, while they were in chains, probably chained to a wall. Um, the shackles were probably chained them to the wall, and they didn't have much mobility. Um, they couldn't even roam about the cell, really. They were in a dungeon um, with nothing more but the light from maybe the bars that were on there. It might have been completely secluded altogether. And, and, and I wonder all the time when I read these stories, what motivates somebody to continue to hold on to the ideas that they have to the point of imprisonment? What motivates somebody to say, this is what I believe, and I'm going to hold fast to it all the way to getting chained up to a dungeon and not eating any food, possibly risking just death from malnourishment? Um, we have a system today in, in today's modernized, civilized world where um, there's standards that we have to treat prisoners by. They need to be able to eat, they need to be able to bathe, and all this kind of stuff. That wasn't the case back in the first century. Um, if you were a prisoner, you got treated like dirt, uh, maybe less than dirt, because um, dirt served a purpose in society. Um, and so we're going to be looking today um, at the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians. Philippians is one of those letters that Paul was writing while he was in prison. He was writing it to the Philippians and the church in Philippi. And, and as Paul tended to do, he, he had a relationship with these people already. He had built a relationship with these people through his other journeys and his travelings, and now had found himself in prison and thought, well, I got some time to kill. Might as well write him a letter, uh, see how they're doing, and let them let know that I'm thinking of them. Let them know that I can encourage them a little bit. Imagine with me, if you will, some Sunday morning, and Stephen's up here preaching, and in walks through the doors a uh, police officer. And they come up to where Stephen's standing as he's preaching the gospel, and they, they begin to arrest him. They begin to chain him and shackle him, and they begin to haul him off. As we're all standing here wondering, what's going on? What's happening right now? Paul continued to know that he was stirring the pot. He was causing trouble in all different kinds of places. But even to the point of being arrested publicly in front of other people, he was willing to spread the gospel message. I, I mean, I can't imagine living in that kind of situation today. In the place we live, in the, the time we live, having that happen. dead man walking.
if you're good, I'll take the cuffs off for you. But you leave the belly chain on in case we have to put it back on. I'll yes, take, sir. I'll take the cuffs off and recuff you. Yes, sir. Thanks, sir. That's better. I appreciate that. No problem. And if you're a real good person, I got some pencil and paper. You can write how bad you've been. <laughs> I don't think you have enough paper for that. Well, we'll get you started on it. I'll be back in a little bit to get you. You have a good day. Thanks, sir. Good officer. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ, to all the saints in Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to know I thank God every time I remember you in all my prayers. I always pray with joy. I always pray with joy for all of you because you, you, you were there because of your partnership. Mark that down. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that God, who began a good work in you, will carry it out into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I want you to know, brothers, I want you to know... That it's right for me to feel this way since I have you in my heart. Since I have you in my heart. For whether I'm in chains or whether I'm conf- confirming or defending the gospel, you share with me in God's grace. And I want to, God can testify how I, how I long with the affection of Christ to be with you. Now, brothers, I want you to know that what has happened to me. What has happened to me has served to advance the gospel. Because of my chains, the whole entire palace guard and everyone else know that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of this, my brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the gospel more courageously and fearlessly. It is true. It is true that those, there are those that preach Christ out of rivalry and envy, but others out of goodwill. The latter, the latter do so in love, knowing that I'm in chains for the defense of the gospel. The former, the former do so out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up chains stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But, you know, what does that matter? What does that matter? While I'm in chains, what matters most, what is important, is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached 
and I will rejoice in this. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and by the help of the Spirit of Christ, that this, this will turn out for my deliverance. Man. How I eagerly expect and hope that I will not be ashamed, but I have sufficient courage that on the day of Christ, as I do now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I go on living in the body, that will mean more fruitful label for me. But what, what shall I choose? I don't know. I don't know what to choose. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ. That's far better. But this I know, it is more necessary that I remain in the body for you. Yep. I will, convinced of this, I know I will remain and I will continue. I will continue with all of you for your progress and your joy in the faith of the gospel. So that through me being with you, 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 with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow, will overflow in abundance on account of me. Whatever happens, brothers and sisters, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come see you or whether I only hear about you, I will know, and I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, one spirit, contending as one man, in the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by the opposition. For this will be a sign to them that this is their destruction and that you will be saved and that this is by God. Hmm. You know, for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ. Not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him since you were going through the same struggle, same struggle you have had, and now I hear that you still have and that I have. Letters like this, especially in the early church, um, were written to the church body. Paul wrote his letter to the church in Philippi, so it was probably most likely read out loud, in a setting somewhat like this, with a people somewhat like us, where somebody got up and said, hey, this is what Paul's written to us. This is what he has to say. And as you begin to read his letter, you see that some of the stuff in his letter doesn't seem to make a lot of common sense. For example, he begins off the letter with thanks. Here's Paul 
man in prison, and he opens up his letter with thanks. Now, we know the story of Paul, right? Uh, Paul started off most of his youth, most of his younger years, um, as a man named Saul. And his job, his task, his, his life purpose was to persecute Christians. He wanted to make sure all Christians ended up right here, or worse. He wanted to snuff out the spread of the gospel wherever he could. And so now Paul finds himself a little bit older, a little bit wiser, having encountered Jesus in the place that he had sent so many Christians before. And his first response is thanks. Thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for this opportunity, because I know that now that I'm in chains, now that I'm in prison, and I've done no wrong, that the gospel is only invigorated. That the message of Jesus has only been strengthened because of this. They can't stop it with prison bars. In fact, it encourages it. As long as we live the way we're supposed to live, as he urges the Philippians, live a life above reproach. So that nobody can question you and nobody can come after you. You see, thankfulness is key for kingdom people. Kingdom people are supposed to be thankful. They've been blessed. And, and, and I understand that we have this, this pecking order of, of understanding of how blessed somebody is in our society. Well, they've got this car and they've got this TV and they've got this house and they've got, that's all our own stuff. That's all our own rating scale. But the blessing of a life surrendered to Christ allows you to be thankful when you're in chains in prison. Because Christ has already done the work, and it's not relying on us. It says what's happened has only invigorated and encouraged the gospel to spread all the more. And we know there's other stories, too. Of, of people that have encountered this message of the gospel. Think of the story of Pilate, as Jesus was brought before Pilate. And Pilate continues to search and search and search and say, why on earth did the Jewish people bring you to me? And why on earth are they shouting for you to be crucified? I can't find that you've done anything wrong. I, I, I find no reason to condemn you. And Pilate even goes back to the crowd and tries an attempt at saving Jesus' life. He's like, I'm going to pardon one of these guys. I've got a, a murderer over here, and then I've got this guy, Jesus, who seems to be all right. You, you want to save Jesus, right? And they shout, of course, crucify him, crucify him. All this does, when somebody is convicted of something that they have not done wrong, and they continue to live a life that's above reproach, is it entices intrigue in the minds of people. Pilate's intrigue was piqued with, with this man, Jesus. We don't know what happened to Pilate after this story, but you better believe that he was wondering what was going on. And you better believe that as the spread of Christianity rolled across the country, that he was kind of like, this is that Jesus guy again. He was so intrigued at what was going on. And Paul has more to tell us about what it means to imitate Christ, to be like Christ, even to the point of being imprisoned and sent to jail. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from His love, 
if you have any fellowship with his spirit, if any tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, one in love. Be one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of vain conceit, selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should, not, should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. You and I, we, should have the attitude as that of Christ. Ooh, being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped. No. He made himself nothing. Taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. Being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every other name and that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise and glory to the Father. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, therefore, as you have always obeyed, much in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God, it is God who works in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Do nothing, do nothing without complaining, or arguing, do everything without complaining and arguing, so that you may be pure and blameless, children of God, without fault in this crooked and depraved generation. As you shine like stars, as you hold out the word of life, in order that I, I, on the day of Christ, know that I did not labor or run in vain, even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I will be glad and will rejoice. And so you too rejoice along with me. Paul doubles down. He already opened up with thankfulness. And now he says, even if it brings me to the point of a bloody sacrifice on the sacrificial table, I'm rejoicing for it. And you should be rejoicing too. If you're like me, um, you often read the word you and you attribute it to the singular possession. Um, You personalize it. You make it about yourself. That's what I do. Um, I tend to do that. Um, But Paul most certainly is not using the singular you in this letter. He's using the plural you. As he talks about 
what we're supposed to think about and what we're supposed to do. He's not talking about you individually. He's talking about you together. You as a whole, as a body, as a group. What you are supposed to be thinking. And it reminds us of of Christ's understanding of this concept, saying equality with God is not something to be grasped. He lowered himself. He humbled himself. Christ left the heavenly realm and became flesh, humbling himself to live a life like we live. And so when he says you should also be lowly-minded, humble yourselves. Don't be so concerned about what you have the privilege or, or you personally have the ability to do, but be considerate of one another. What does this mean for the body? What does my choices and my actions mean for others around me? And he said we should be of like mind. Universally, like-minded. What does that mean? It means we're all focused on the same thing, the kingdom of God. We're all focused on the same thing, helping redeem and restore the lost to a saved eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. See, not only are kingdom people supposed to be thankful, but kingdom people are also supposed to be like-minded. We're on the same mission. We're going the same place. We're headed the same direction. We should be of the like mind. And and, and when we have disagreements and we have our personal choices and our personal um, ideas, and when we have disagreements, we shouldn't be divisive over it. We shouldn't cause to divide and separate. We should find the place where we can unify and strengthen one another. Because, believe it or not, our differences do make us stronger. But our differences can be our downfall if we're not focused on the same goal. If our minds aren't focused on the same thing, our differences will destroy us. God has a will and he has a purpose for each person individually. But his will for us collectively overrides that. And he allows us to be a part of that with our personal. Paul continues his letter. And he he begins to encourage and strengthen the rest who are coming up. That it's not just about him. He's not the go-to, the be-all, the end-all. There's others that are involved in this. And he has a word about them as well. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So that I may be cheered when I receive word, news from you. Man. I have no one else like Timothy who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. There are those who take their own interest in their self and not that of Jesus Christ. But see, Timothy has proved himself. As a son is with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And so... I hope to send him to you soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I will come to you soon. But I think it's necessary. I think it's necessary that I send to you Epaphroditus, my fellow brother, my fellow worker and soldier, and your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. Indeed, he longs for you 
all of you, but he has been in distress since he has heard that you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. So I am all the more eager to send him to you, that you may rejoice, and I will be glad and have less anxiety. You know, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and honor men like him because he risked his life for the sake of Christ, for the work of Christ, risking his life, making up for what you could not give. Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write this same thing again to you, but it is for your safeguard. Watch out for those dogs. Watch out for those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, who put no confidence in the flesh. Though I have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, if anyone thinks he has such reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As for the law, a Pharisee. In regard to zeal, persecuting the church. And in regard to legalistic righteousness, faultless. Whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Whom I, for the sake of the lost, everything, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and know him. Not a righteousness that comes through the law, but through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God that is by faith. Brothers, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want a fellowship in the sufferings to be like him in his death so that somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not only are kingdom people thankful and like-minded, kingdom people are family. Do you notice how many times Paul's referred to the people as brothers and sisters? Or use other familial terms like son for Timothy. He keeps coming back to it. Because there's something different about these relationships than any other relationships you can have. Christians having relationships with Christians, there's something different. Because we're connected through the family, through the blood of Christ. It gives us the like-mindedness. 
It gives us our thankfulness. We're supposed to be a family. And Paul is, is probably, if not the most influential, one of the most influential Christians to ever live. I mean, there's a reason we're still reading his letters today and they're in our Bible. There's a reason that this man had the story that he has. That he went the places he went. Saw the things he saw. And served the way he served. God orchestrated it. He knew what he was doing. He was using him from the beginning to create a plan. And Paul makes it very clear. Can't do this by yourself. Don't even try. If you think you've got it all figured out and you think you're good enough, well, why don't you consider my, my record again? And Paul lists all the things that he's done, all the steps he's taken to be good enough. To be righteous enough. And he says that it is all rubbish. Absolute trash. Compared to Christ. All the stuff he's gained, all the position, the power, the ability that he has, is all rubbish. And what's interesting is, if you flip back to the very beginning of the book, Paul addresses his letter from himself and Timothy. Now, Timothy's not in prison. It's just Paul there. Why on earth would he talk about Timothy in his opening as he was addressing the story? Well, there's a reason for that. Paul was more concerned about the direction of the church moving forward than he was about his own life or his own uh, rapport, getting the accolades. You see, what Paul was doing was he was elevating this young leader to a position where he said, hey, you guys need to listen to this guy. He's been anointed by God to direct and lead. You need to listen to this man, Timothy, because there's something burning inside his heart, and it's the Lord. And he's on fire for him. You need to listen to him. And so what Paul did was he literally elevated him. And so allow, allow my, my nerdiness to shine through for a minute, if you will, as I illustrate this. In the world of professional wrestling, yeah, there are two types of people. You have heels, which are the bad guys, and you have faces, which are the good guys. The faces are the face of the company. So since 1989, um, it's been publicly acknowledged that the world of professional wrestling is not, in fact, um, all real. <laughs> there, there are made-up elements to it. It's, it's fictitious storylines. Um, and, and although these, these people have athletic abilities and, and agility and all this stuff, um, they're not true fights. They're not really um, knockdown, dragout fights like you'd get in the UFC or a boxing match or something like that. And so in this world of professional wrestling, even with the fakeness of it all, um, what compels people to watch it is the stories. The stories of the good guys beating the bad guys, finally. The stories of, of the the anti-establishment guy rocking the establishment. And people get invested in these stories. But over time, these athletes and these wrestlers get older. And their bodies do start to break down. And, and Hulk Hogan and the macho man Randy Savage can't stay in the ring their whole lives. So they need new guys. So how do you get the new guy to be the guy of the company now? I mean, if you're Hulk Hogan and you've been on Wheaties boxes and in movies and, and starring in all this stuff, you're the face of the company for 
two or three decades, how do you get the new guy in a position of power and authority? You make him look good. You elevate him. You bring him up. And so there's two ways to do that for the new guy in the wrestling world. You either have him match off with uh, another good guy, so it's a face versus face, and there's this mutual respect, and, and at the end of the match, the, the old-timer who's going out is like, man, this guy, he's got it. He's the best we've got. Or the other option is you've set up the new guy with one of the big top bad guys, and he beats the bad guy. And that's how you get him over. And that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He says, this guy Timothy is where we're going to go. He's going to lead us forward. I don't know what's happening to me. I'm in prison. I might die tomorrow. I don't know. But this guy Timothy, you need to listen to him. Paul's focus on the family of God over overcame any ideas or or desires he had for his own personal well-being or his own accolades. He was focused, the like-mindedness, caring for his family. Paul continues to says, be on your guard against those who might attack. There'll be people who want to attack and he'll come in and destroy things. But he reiterates the point that it's not our righteousness that allows us to overcome those that attack us. It's Christ's righteousness, so we don't need to worry. Man, if it was my righteousness, or if it was Paul's righteousness, or even Timothy's righteousness, man, we'd have something to worry about. Because we ain't there. But it's Christ's righteousness that'll get us through the storms and get us through the attacks as we continue to focus on the like-mindedness and focus on the family of God. We're family. Paul moves on to address where we should go with all this. As he gets kind of towards the the second half or towards the latter part of his letter, where are we going? Where are we ending up? He says we need to press on to the goal. Not that I've already obtained all this or have been made perfect. But I have to press on to take hold of that which took hold of me in Christ Jesus. Man. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. But this I do. Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such view of these things. But if you think Differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we've already attained. Join with the others in following my example, brothers and sisters. And look to those who live according to the pattern which I've given you. For I have told you this time before and much more now. 
that there are many who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is their destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their minds are on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power enables him to put everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will look like his glorious body. So finally, my brothers, you who I love and long for, you who are my crown and joy, this is how you are to stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. We're a family. And kingdom people and families make each other better. We sharpen one another. I I hope as my sons grow older that they play sports together. They get outside and play baseball or throw the football around or whatever. and, And that playing together and that working together allows them both to get better at that. The adage, practice makes perfect. Well, having somebody to, to practice with, to work with, allows you to get better at your skills and your, and your abilities. We need to be like-minded in a family that sharpens one another. And see, here's the thing about running to a goal. Um, Paul used that terminology earlier in the, in the chapter before about running the race. I hate running. Like, I really hate running. Like, about five minutes into the run, I'm going, panting and gasping for air, and I want to quit and not do it ever again, and um, I just hope I make it home, because I really don't want to die on the side of the street. Um, and, and this side, yeah, right? I mean, other people agree, no? Some of you um, hate running. But yet I'm forced to run um, by virtue of me being in the, the army. Um, I have to meet some certain requirements and physical fitness standards, um, and so it makes me run. So I've learned some stuff about running that, that really helps motivate me. Um, so especially when running with a group, now I got nothing for you running by yourself except to find a group to run with because running by yourself is terrible. Um, but running with a group, um, when you know that you're going to be in trouble, find somebody that runs about the same way you do and encourage one another along the way. Don't allow them to get too far ahead of you. And don't allow them to fall too far back behind you. If you've got your second wind and they're gasping, you encourage them to get up there with you. Come on, let's do this. You got it. And if if you're the one gasping, man, keep your eyes on the goal. Focus on that guy. Don't let him get too far ahead of you. Pick up the pace. This idea of running with others, we're supposed to come alongside encourage one another, sharpen one another, make each other better. And we're supposed to be grown by this as well. So not only should you have somebody who's, who's standing next to you, peer-to-peer, keeping you sharp, keeping you online, but you should be looking at that guy who's right in front of you too. Who's that next guy in front of you? Catch up to that guy. And once you get up to that guy, now catch up to the next guy. 
And we should always be moving forward. Never being satisfied with falling back and allowing ourselves to be tracked back further along the path. Always be focused on moving forward. That's what the kingdom people are supposed to do. That's what we are supposed to do. We're supposed to sharpen one another, help one another, encourage one another, and make each other better. Our goal is in heaven. Our goal is in heaven. We should be living today like that's where we're headed. Are you living today like you're headed to heaven? Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. And a kingdom people live differently. So as Paul begins his letter with thanksgiving, he closes out his letter with thanksgiving as well. And, and, and exhortations. Um, as he lo- lets the people know, these are kind of it's what I want to leave you with as you move forward in this journey. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with one another in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my loyal yoke fellow, to help these women because they have contended with me at my side in the work of the gospel, along with Clement, as well as the rest of of my fellow workers. Their names are in the written in the book of life. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, bring your requests with thanksgiving to the Lord and the God of peace and God's peace that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds finally whatever is true whatever is noble whatever is right whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is admirable if anything is excellent or praiseworthy Think about such things. What you've seen, received, or heard from me, or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. So, I rejoice greatly in the Lord because of the concern that has been renewed from you for me. I know you've been in concern for me, but you've never, you have not had opportunity to show it. And so, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I know what it means to be in need. And I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to have, to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret to be content in any and every circumstance. I know what it is to be well-fed and to be hungry. I know what it is to have plenty and have nothing. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, yet, it was good of you. It was good of you to share my troubles. Moreover, as you, Philippians, know, 
in the early days when you became acquainted with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, there was no other church, no other church who shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift from you, but I'm looking for what may be accredited to your account. I've received more than full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied. Can't you see? Now that I receive from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent through him, it has been a fragrant offering. Pleasing to God, a sacrifice. And I tell you this, and the God, and the God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus to our God and Father. Be glory forever and ever. Amen. Just a question. Are you living your life unified with the body? Not just uh, not at odds, not just lacking uh, a fight or quarrel with somebody, but are you seeking opportunity to strengthen and be unified with others? Are you seeking opportunity to encourage others who are running the race? To come alongside them? To say, hey man, don't fall behind me. Get on up here. You can do it. We're running this race together. Keep your eyes on the prize. Keep your eyes on the end goal. Kingdom people are thankful. They have a like mind. They're family. And they sharpen one another. That's who we are. That's what we offer to this, this world of lack of direction and, and rampant sin and lostness. We offer this different life. If you don't believe that this power is living in you, check your Bible again because it's living in you. This power to transform lives and, and count everything that somebody has accomplished, for them to count it all as rubbish. Christ has empowered us to be those people, to speak those things into people's lives. So are you living unified with the body today? Are you allowing yourself to be tapped into that force? And if we're a family, you spend a time with Dad. Is Dad teaching you, your Heavenly Father? Is He showing you what it means to be an adult? what it means to be a grown-up, what it means to live this kind of life. So as Paul closes out his letter, he gives his final greetings to the people and, and his benediction, and it's our benediction as well. That as the people of God, so cool. I mean, really think about this for a second. This church literally heard these words 2,000-some years ago. The church in Philippi. The Christians gathered there. They're words that were powerful and meant something for those people, and they're powerful and mean something for us today. We're connected to this longevity of family history. Let this benediction encourage and strengthen you as well. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. 
the brothers who are with me, send greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.